everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning and see your faces. Um, I usually see the back of of your heads, because I usually sit back there. Um, But it's good to see everyone um, today. Um, When um, Amos sent out a list about the uh, topics that uh, he wanted us to to choose to speak on, uh, I was excited to pick the topic about the Word of God, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, But let's let's pray. Um, Father, we ask for your presence. Lord, we already feel your presence. We know you're here. Have your way. Lord, in my weakness, be my strength. Amen. As I said, I was excited to uh, talk about um, the Bible uh, because as a teenager, I was the beneficiary of a Bible that was smuggled into my communist country where I lived by someone who believed that this book was worth reading, by someone who believed that this book was worth risking their life for. And seeing that as a a young girl, the Bible became my precious treasure, and it is to this day. I, I love to talk about it. There is no other book in the world that can compare with the Bible. Without a doubt, the Bible is a special book. But the Bible is also a strange book. And when we read it, we see that the events described in the Bible took place a long time ago. Some of the stories go back 5,000 years or longer. It was written in three different languages that are not our own, to a nation or to nations in faraway lands. It talks about a flood that covered the entire globe. And it speaks of people with supernatural abilities and giants. It talks about a carpenter who walked the earth claiming to be God himself. It is surprising that anybody even reads the Bible today. But the Bible is not only old, it is also radical. The Bible calls us to a devotion to the death. All logic says that this book should have never survived. It is too bizarre, it is too old, 
It is too radical. And yet, despite the ridicule that it received, despite how many times it was burned, how many times it was forbidden, how many times it was declared dangerous contraband as it was in my country or declared irrelevant for today, this book rose from the grave of every generation and shone with greater brightness and power. And it not only overcame every persecution that came against it, but the Bible is still the most read and the most printed, the most loved, the most gifted book in the world. It is a book that had traveled more roads, knocked at more doors, healed more broken hearts, lifted more burdens, ennobled more characters, and changed more destinies that were heading towards hell into destinies that are now the masterpieces of God, people like you and me, than any other book in this world. What is the explanation for the survival and the durability of the Bible? The only explanation is that this book is not of this world. So let's take a look at one of our uh, Bible Project videos. So over the centuries, people read this Bible, and millions of people have tested its promises and arrived at the following conclusion, that the Bible is the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, Paul says to Timothy. And then he says in Romans, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible contains the whole counsel of God for our instruction, for our salvation, and for holy living. The Bible is composed of the Old and the New Testament. As many of you know, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is true in everything that it claims. It is the supreme authority in matters of faith and practice for Christians. And Jesus says that the Scripture cannot be annulled. The Scripture cannot be destroyed. The Word of God is forever settled in heaven. Psalm 119 says, the Bible is composed of 66 books written over a period of over a thousand years, probably 1,500 years in three different languages, as we saw. And its contributors were dozens of authors, from kings to simple people, prophets, priests, doctors, shepherds, fishermen, people with no formal education. But despite this human involvement in the written process of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible owes its uniqueness and owes its unity to the fact that it has only one author, and that is God. 
The Bible contains almost all literary genres that exist. We have historic narrative, we have storytelling, we have wisdom literature and poetry, we have prophetic writings and apocalyptic writing. The Bible is truly a unique book. And even though the Bible is one of the oldest books in the world, it is as fresh as the, the, the latest news articles that came out this morning online or in print. The word of God is like those, those grains of wheat found in the hands of Egyptian mummies. What does that mean? Those grains of wheat were taken and planted into the ground, and the grain sprouted afresh after thousands of years of being dormant. The same is the word of God. It is thousands of years old, but has within it germinating life-giving power. And when it's planted into our hearts, it sprouts, brings forth fruit. God's ancient truths address the most current issues that you and I face today. How should I raise my kids? How should I be a good spouse? How should I be a good employee? How should I spend my money? God's ancient words answer the most burning questions of our hearts in the 21st century. And his promises spoken thousands and thousands of years ago bring us life today. And his promises are fulfilled today in us and for us. The germinating, life-giving power of the word of God. But through the centuries, this book that we hold in our hands was also sprinkled with the blood of those who believed every word in it. The first hundred years after Christ, Imperial Rome realized one thing, that the force of Christianity stood in the words left to them by their leader and by the apostles. After waves and waves of persecution, the authorities finally realized, wait a minute, if we want to exterminate this Christian sect, we must destroy their holy writings. And as late as the beginning of the 4th century, Roman Emperor Diocletian burned thousands of copies of the Bible and decreed that any home with a Bible in it should be burned to the ground. And the early Christians hid their holy books and they protected them and they cherished them and paid the ultimate price for owning them. Every major doctrine in the Bible was defended by Christians sometimes to the death. Emperors claiming to be gods demanded that people worship them and, and, and say, Cesar Domini est, Caesar is Lord. But Christians standing on the truth of the word of God, they refused to say that and declared instead, Jesus Christus Domini Est. And one by one, they were taken to the arenas and they were burned and they were decapitating for make, making this statement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every major Christian truth, truth that we now so freely say cost our forefathers and mothers in the faith something, often their freedom and even their lives. 
the confession that Jesus Christ is very God, a very God, what we say in our Christian creed, sent thousands of Christians to death. Just that sentence. Because they believe that this is what the word of God teaches, that Jesus is God, and they died for it. And in some countries, Christians still die today for that statement, that Jesus is not just a prophet, but he is God. The confession that salvation was by grace alone was paid with the blood of many believers as well. Tens of thousands of Protestants died because they believed salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone, not through the church, not through a tradition or any other methods. But based on the authority of Scripture, salvation is offered freely to everyone who believes. Today, books are written against the Bible. And one doctrine that is attacked the most is the existence of hell. Another major teaching in the Bible and believers, people like you and me are often ridiculed for still believing in an eternal place of punishment as Jesus described it and as as the Bible defined it. And, and, And they're ridiculed, we're ridiculed for it. Every great truth we have in the scripture is costly and was defended and valued and often paid with blood. If we were to be arrested for believing this book, this book is worth defending and dying for because it is the book that brought us salvation. That is why we don't add anything to it and we don't take anything away from Scripture. And we believe that from Genesis to the last verse of Revelation, the Bible is the Word of God and must be read and must be obeyed. Precious, precious book. As King David says, Give me Goliath's sword, there is none like it. Give me the Bible. There is no other sword like the sword of the Word of God. There is none like it. So, see to it. The author of the book of Hebrews says that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them from on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The author of Hebrew speaks here of a shaking that is coming, of a testing of all things. And there are things in this life that can be shaken, and there are things in this life that cannot be shaken. There are things that will be destroyed in the end, and there are things that will remain forever and are permanent. And Jesus says that those who hear and obey his words build their house or their lives upon a rock. And those who do not obey his words build their lives upon shifting sand. So the word of God determines what is shakable and what is unshakable. What remains and what is blown away when the winds and the storm come. And as we go through the Bible project, 
and understand the Bible as a unified story that leads us to Jesus, we see that these stories are, are, are truths that cannot be shaken. They are the cornerstone upon which we build our lives. Because the time is coming sooner than we think when the world around us will be shaken, when churches will be shaken. And when those things happen, and some have already begun to happen, what is the anchor that keeps us unshakable in the midst of all kinds of winds of teaching? And philosophy, a reference point that is unchanging, is defined as an absolute. A reference point that is unchanging. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. It is absolute. Something in our lives has to be absolute. When everything around us, when morality, when justice, when truth, when gender, when good and bad is challenged and redefined, Something in our lives has to remain certain. In a culture where everything is relative and shaky and unstable and floundering, what is for Christians, not for the world, for us, the last court of appeal when it comes to matters of faith and practice? Is it our reason? Is it our intuition? It's our common sense. Who is the final authority when it comes to what we believe about God and how we should live our lives? Is it the individual? Is it how I feel? Is that the last authority? Is it the collective wisdom of the masses? Is it Oprah? Is it our favorite news channel? Is it the culture? Is it the papal chair in Rome? Do we have, as followers of Jesus, truths that do not change? That do not change with the weather, that do not change with the culture, that do not change with the whims of our generation. If there is a contradiction between the teaching of the Bible and the present culture, what do we do? Do we adapt the teachings of Christ to, the, to, to our modern conditions? Or do we stand firm upon the word of God and say, this is the absolute truth and I must submit to it and I must change my ways to match the truths of scripture, not the other way. What is the final authority in your life, in my life? Who dictates for you what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is filthy and what is clean? In this world where we are surrounded by all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and, and personal opinions that are elevated to the rank of absolute truth, there must be an anchor that gives us confidence that at the end of our lives, we build our lives upon the rock and we were not deceived. Nothing is more important for a person than what they claim to be the source of truth upon which they build their lives. The authority that pontificates, if you will, what they believe. When you make the statement, uh, or a statement, any statement about, about life, about eternity, about justice, about God, about the world, what gives authority to that claim? 
how do I know that what you say is true? How do you know that what I say is true? What gives us that authority? And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the absolute truth when it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternity, and how we should live our lives here on earth. No book has ever or will ever have the same level of authority as the Holy Scripture should be obeyed to the degree that one obeys the Word of God. And any perceived inconsistencies or difficulties found in Scripture do not lessen the Bible's authority or purpose for which it was written, and that is to bring us to salvation and to to the grace of Christ and to teach us how to behave as regenerate individuals in a fallen world. Truth comes from God who revealed himself in the word. That is the basis of what we believe. The Bible is eminently the revelation of God the Father to us. But maybe you're asking, what about those who never heard about Jesus, never heard, never had access to the Bible? Before the word of God was given or was accessible to everyone, the Bible says that God revealed himself himself to the humans that he created in various ways. When Adam and Eve fell into sin and the Garden of Eden was was out of reach now, humans lost not only their fellowship with God, but their ability to discern spiritual truths. So they were in the dark. Even though we are spiritual beings, even though we are gifted with the five senses to experience the world around us through smell and touch and sight, when it comes to the spiritual world, we lost our compass. We lost our navigational skills and our directions. And all world religions are nothing but human attempts to reconnect with heaven, with that spiritual world that we lost. So no longer in the Garden of Eden, um, humans now needed other ways to understand God and had to make no, God had to make himself known to humans in other ways. And the reason we can have today uh, a coherent conversation and and discussion uh, about God is because God pulled back the curtain and made himself known to us. And one way that he did that was through creation. The heavens declared the glory of God. The skies proclaimed the work of his handiness, his hands. Psalm, uh, Psalm 19. So when we look at the world around us, Someone made the universe so beautiful and orderly. And this universe, the Bible says, declares some of the glory and some of the creativity and the power and the immensity and the wisdom of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They have no speech. The Bible says they use no words, no sound is heard from them yet. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. God revealed himself in the world around us and continues to do that today. And scholars call that general revelation. God revealed himself to us in creation. Another way that God revealed himself was that he put inside us his moral law. God speaks through creation, but he also speaks through our conscience We cannot know what is right and wrong just by looking at the stars. We cannot know 
God just by, 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 by looking at creation. So God put those truths about right and wrong at, the, at a basic level within our conscience. Paul says that Gentiles do by nature things required by the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts. They, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them in Romans 2. Non-Jews, he says, do by nature things required by the law of Moses. Even though they never heard of it. Why? Because God's moral law was written in the conscience of all the descendants of Adam and Eve. A small child knows the difference between basic good and bad, truth and lie, what is his and what doesn't belong to him. From the Code of Hammurabi, considered one of the earliest and the most complete legal codes to other legal codes in China and Africa and Native American codes, people have always had this inner guide that told them what was true and what was a lie, what was just and what was unjust, right and wrong. And from the dawn of civilization, there was an unwritten law in relationships. It was a fair play, even among people who didn't know God. I was good to you. Don't be mean to me. I did something bad to you. I should expect something bad to happen to me. And pagan and Christian philosophers call this human conscience or, or natural law. And Aristotle and Plato and Cicero and, and, and Kant and others, they all recognize the presence of this moral law in the human conscience. And Christian scholars like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and, and others believe that these moral laws were written by God's finger on the tablets of our conscience. And they remain there whether we like it or not. Every artist leaves his or her fingerprints on the piece of art that they create. And we saw Pastor Bob's uh, art last week. Uh, and that art, that creation, speaks of the taste and the ingenuity of the artist. When God created us, he marked us with his fingerprint. He put his signature on us. And we're the masterpiece of God's creation. And within us, God wrote his moral code, the ability to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong at a basic level. But just like the stars cannot teach us about what is right and wrong, and God had to write that moral law on our conscience, our conscience is part of our fallen nature and does not teach us everything. Especially it does not teach us about the redeeming grace of Christ. That's why God, who is light, pulled back the veil and revealed himself to us through scripture. Verba volant scripta manent, says the old Latin proverb. Spoken words fly away. Written words remain. Heaven and earth will pass away, the Bible says, but the word of God will stand forever. And the biggest promise given by God to us in written form in the Old Testament was the coming of Messiah. The Bible says after God spoke in the past to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
God speaks through his creation. God speaks through our moral conscience. He, God reveals uh, and revealed his power and character through his great acts in history and in other ways. But in the last days, God spoke to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom the Bible calls the word. And who left this message on the pages of scripture. Do you want to know God? God was revealed in Jesus Christ. Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. Do you want to know Jesus? You and I can know Jesus, not from myths, not from traditions, not from hearsay, but from the four Gospels of the New Testament. And then from the teachings of his apostles and other anointed authors of the Bible. After God spoke in the past in various ways, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And we can know him from his writings, from the writings of scripture. But the question that begs to be asked is this. How do I know that Paul or Moses or Joshua or other authors of the Bible didn't just bring their own ideas and personal contributions to what God says and interpreted God's words through their own filter and uh, preconceptions when they wrote the Bible. It is important to understand that God the Father revealed himself in Scripture, but just as important it is to know what validates the Scripture. How do I know that those authors spoke the truth? And the authority behind the words of Scripture is God himself. All scripture was inspired by God, the Bible says. What does that mean? It means that the authors of scripture did something that was impossible to do through their natural abilities, and that was to write down the words of a perfect God. So God did it through them, through inspiration in ways that we don't fully understand. While The authors maintained their own uh, voice and their own personality in the writings. If you read any portion of scripture, you you can sense the personality of the author. But there is another question here that begs to be answered. We know that God revealed himself in scripture, that he inspired the authors to write, but is the entire Bible inspired by God? There are some who believe that some portions of Scripture are inspired and some are not. And my question to that is, who is then qualified to judge which part of the Bible is inspired and which part is not? Who has the last word about the inspiration of Scripture? Is it our illuminated mind? Our mind that needs to be illuminated by the Word of God is now judging the Word of God. What is true and what is false? Is it our minds? There could be nothing more confusing than a Bible that is maybe inspired to make us grope in the dark about salvation, about eternity, about Christian living. It is better to have no Bible at all than to have a Bible that you and I decide what is inspired in it and if it's worth living our lives according to it. We give the Bible either full authority in our lives, or we give it none. If I can judge and scrutinize the Bible, the Bible cannot scrutinize me, cannot challenge me, cannot correct me, cannot instruct me, and ultimately cannot judge me. 
all scripture was inspired by God and is useful for us. All scripture. But what about the translations in so many languages? Are they inspired? Despite human involvement in the written process of the Holy Scriptures, including the translations today, God watches over his word to perform it, the Bible says. And his word comes to us precisely as God wants it. Despite the translations and human contributions, this word of God is able to bring us salvation because it is breathed by God. The word of God is alive and powerful, the Bible says. It is sharper than the sharpest edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And the word of God is our guide in this life. Every airplane in the air is tracked by an air traffic uh, control tower. And if the radar is lost, if the, if, if the air-to-ground communication is lost, lives are at risk. On our way towards heaven, we must have a clear guide. We must have a clear indicator to help us keep the course. And that is the word of God. Because lives and eternities are at, are, are at stake, the basic message of salvation can be understood in every language by a child. It is not complicated. Are there places in Scripture that are complicated, that are hard to understand? Yes. But despite those, the Bible is the Word of God, whether I understand every detail in it or not. There are certain medicines medicines that, that are prescribed that you cannot chew. You have to swallow them whole. And in the same way, there are some truths of Scripture that are so hard to grasp with our limited mind, like the Trinity, for example, that if we try to understand them, we destroy them. They... they, they uh, they are too difficult for us. So if we try to understand them, we, we bring them down to the limited level of our thinking and we weaken them. We must swallow them whole as they are by faith and, and trust that they are God's truth and they are good for us. They are good for our life. They are good for our conduct. And we must let them work their purpose in us. So... When we approach the scriptures, we read them with a certainty of revelation that God pulled back the curtain and revealed himself and his plan for us in scripture. When we approach the scriptures, we read them with the certainty of inspiration that the Holy Spirit that we find in scripture, and therefore those words are truth and we can build our lives on them. And when we approach the scripture, we read it with a certainty of authority, that Jesus, as very God of very God, he placed his seal of approval and of truth on the scripture. He did not come to abolish the law, the Bible says, but to fulfill it, and his very words are truth. And the guarantee that we have Sunday after Sunday, when we come to hear from this book, 
and then we go home or we go, we go into the world and live it out, is that we know that this book is from God. That we don't live in a utopia created by our own religious minds. But we know that what we believe is true because God revealed it in Scripture, Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote it, and Jesus is the ultimate authority that validated those truths for us. So let's value Let's value this book as the living, germinating word of God, the bread of heaven for the hunger of our souls. So let's eat it. Let's allow it to change us from the inside out. So as we go into worship, I would like to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to Speak to your heart, to search your heart, and see if maybe there are misconceptions about the Bible in your heart. Now recommit to reading it, submitting to it as the absolute truth, which can give you eternal life. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.